could you beat Tom Brady at golf? Because I hear you're pretty good, and he didn't look that great on TV. <laughs> I watched the match, and I'm not – listen, I'm not going to talk any shit because it's not easy when you're playing with Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson, and you're the only people on the course. But from what I saw, I think I might be able to get Tom Brady. It's a crazy time and we're all doing what we have to do to get through it. Two big things for me, this podcast, and we've had a ton of interesting guests of late, which has been great. And then hiking, uh, which I love doing. Like to get outside. Nice place to be where there's not a, a ton of people. There's a ton of good hikes in Virginia. I've been hitting the trails a lot and uh, that's in large part due to Allbirds. They are uh, the new sponsor of the Greenlight Podcast and I'm wearing a pair of these shoes uh, right now. Beige tree dashers they sent me. Uh, they're great. They're lightweight. They're tough. And they have to be because believe me, I can uh, put a hurting on an athletic shoe. I, I could Zion Williamson a shoe on the trail. And these things stand up. All birds also walks the walk when it comes to the environment. So my tree dashers are made of all natural materials like merino wool, eucalyptus fiber, and sugarcane. And they look good. Really thrilled to welcome Allbirds to the Greenlight Pod. Go check them out at allbirds.com, the tree dashers. Happy Wednesday. This is your host, Chris Long. Uh, this is the Greenlight Pod. And uh, I got to get straight to it. We have a little bit to talk about um, when it comes to NASCAR and Bubba Wallace and the whole news thing. We're going to get into that right away, but I want to preview who we have coming on. We got two guests today, uh, one you've heard of, one you might not have. Uh, both football players, uh, but leading very different lives right now. Matt Ryan's the first one, obviously quarterback of the Atlanta Falcons, one of my draft classmates uh, back you know, in the Stone Ages in 2008. Uh, and then Marshall McFadden, a guy I played with in St. Louis, also played for the uh, Oakland Raiders and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Special teams type guy, downhill thumper type linebacker, um, unsung type guy uh but when his career wrapped up and i think he 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 stopped the cfl before doing this he moved on to the world of nascar and he has been spending his time uh in pit row so not only is he a black dude in nascar on pit row but he's a former football player um on pit row and that's not you know, that's actually not that rare. Uh, when I went to Martinsville a few years ago for a NASCAR race, the only one I've been to, maybe that changes in the future. Uh, I had a pass and I walked around uh, pit row and ran into five, six guys that I had played against in the ACC. I mean, ACC country, Charlotte, Charlottesville, Virginia, you know, Charlotte, NASCAR headquarters. Um, a lot of these guys from this area that play college ball get pulled um, to go work on these pit crews. You know, football is a game of inches. NASCAR is a game of seconds, milliseconds. Um, you know, and these pit stops have to be done quickly and you're, you're moving big, heavy machinery around and you're, you're basically like an athlete. So there's really no surprise to me um, that NASCAR has put a premium on these former college football players, these former pro football players. And uh, Marshall McFadden is, uh, is a perfect example. Um, and he loves, from everything I know, his life in the NASCAR world. Um, now, full disclosure, you know, when I first had Marshall on, that was earlier today. I've done both both these interviews already. It's about eleven thirty at night, trying to wrap up this open so I can get to bed. Um, things have changed. Okay, so you know, part of our conversation was about the noose and Bubba Wallace and everything that went down. Um, you know, the past few days. I think it's irresponsible to, you know, to push those questions and answers out because things have changed. Um, now, luckily, I was just really excited to talk to Marshall. He's a guy I played with and a guy who can give me insight into just how difficult and dangerous and demanding it is to work on pit row and the transition from football uh, to NASCAR and how so many guys are making that transition. So it was a very interesting conversation. I think you're going to like it. But first up is going to be Matt Ryan. 
and there's a lot Matt Ryan and I will talk about. Um, but the main event today in the sports world is uh, the conclusion of an FBI investigation that dropped around you know five six o'clock tonight. That was a, a bit of a surprise to me, at least. Um, that you know there was no hate crime. Um, you know, Talladega this weekend, big race, Alabama, NASCAR. Bubba Wallace, one black driver in NASCAR, has been receiving a lot of hate, a lot of heat, um, probably an, a number of threats since he um, he did the Black Lives Matter thing on his stock car. Um, so, you know, people were puckered up for Talladega, rightfully so. Um, there was allegedly a noose in his garage. Uh, now, I don't know how these garage situations work i certainly don't know how they work in the middle of a a pandemic but i would imagine that if people in nascar were troubled enough to call the fbi um this was a serious thing so i hadn't tweeted anything about bubba wallace uh or the noose in the past few days um certainly i hadn't tweeted anything about the noose at all actually um i'm glad i didn't admittedly uh but from the information we've been fed from nascar there was a quote unquote noose hanging in the only black driver's garage in Alabama in the wake of him throwing a black lives matter bumper, bumper sticker, essentially giant bumper sticker on his car in a sport that of all the sports, um, you probably, you know, if you're going to be pro black in any sport in America, NASCAR would be the last one consensus, probably, um, I don't know, bull riding NASCAR, uh, don't know if there's more rodeo dudes um, than there are uh, NASCAR drivers of color. But yeah, Bubba is the one. And uh, he took a bold stand before any of this stuff hit in Talladega. And uh, lo and behold, we get to Talladega and we hear there's a noose in the garage. So everybody believed it. I, I believed it. Yeah. Um, but was it some smoking gun for me, um, that there's racism in this country or that NASCAR has at least a few fucked up fans? No, I didn't need a noose in Bubba Wallace's garage to know that. Uh, I did take it at face value knowing that we know the truth in a couple of days. And now we do, we know that, uh, that noose was there in October of 2019 as well. Now, I don't know. I'm hearing that, you know, it's a, it's a mechanism for a pulley system. You pull on, you know, this noose uh, to pull the garage down and that it's fairly common. I guess I wonder um, if it's that common, why NASCAR presumably saw the noose and was troubled enough to go to the FBI about it, why a member of uh, Richard Petty's team saw the noose and was troubled enough to go to the, the authorities in NASCAR about it. And NASCAR in turn, as I said, going to the FBI about it turned into this, this big thing. I mean, if it's that common uh, and it looked that inconspicuous, then why? Now, I don't know the sport, admittedly. I'm learning the sport. I don't know what it looks like in one of those, um, you know, garage situations there they have going on. Um, I just know that as a fan, of sports and as somebody with a podcast and somebody who hasn't been living under a rock the past few days, that was at face value, what we were talking about. And, uh, we know more now we know that again, it was there last fall. Um, and we know there's a noose, uh, you can't pick and choose what you believe when it comes to the FBI. They do say explicitly that it was a noose. Now, whether you think it was a pulley or not, we just talked about that. Um, so either Bubba is a fucking diabolical clairvoyant and he staged this entire thing um, or he had nothing to do with it. Um, the fact is that he didn't report it or find it himself. So again, let me, let me, let me speak slowly for some people. Either Bubba Wallace knew that there would be a pandemic in 2020 and he knew that the, the country would be a captive audience. Uh, and that there would be a guy named George Floyd who would get executed by police and it would spur this giant kind of like mini American revolution and consciousness about racism and police brutality in the United States. And he knew that in the fall. So he went to Talladega in secrecy and uh, hung a noose 
in the very garage that he knew that he would occupy a year later. So you could believe that, or you could believe that he had nothing to do with it because we know for a fact that, uh, you know, he didn't report it. In fact, he never saw it. Um, so save the hoax talk. I've seen that a lot, uh, today on Twitter and I know who's using that. I mean, we, we all know, you know, disingenuous nature of people who, uh, who would love to make this thing a, a giant, some clandestine liberal agenda. Save the Jussie talk, okay? Again, a hoax would mean that he's in on it. The Jussie Smollett thing, uh, I know you guys wanted it so badly to be a Jussie Smollett thing. Uh, and by the way, Jussie Smollett is a piece of shit. Um, he took advantage of racial tensions that are very real in this country and, uh, and, and used it for personal, I, I guess, personal gain or attention. Fuck that guy. Um, and anybody making excuses for him, you're, you're a weirdo. Uh, but Bubba Wallace, come on. This is not a Jussie Spillett situation. Uh, I also saw that a ton of conservative talking heads were mad because Bubba went on GMA or something and called people who didn't believe the story a name. And that's been a big talking point because, of course, there's no redeeming value, you know, in, 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 there's, it's not a big enough victory that this wasn't real. You know, you need Bubba Wallace to be behind it so that you can feel good about this win for you. And he's not. So you reach and you say, yeah, but he called people a name who said that this wasn't true. So if you don't just read these conservative talking heads tweets and you actually click the video that they're referencing, uh, where, where, you know, Bubba is mean to people that don't believe his story. Bubba is posed a question where he, he's asked, what do you have to say to people who believe that this is a hoax or that NASCAR has orchestrated this? So when he is saying that, you know, these people that fit this description are X, Y, and Z, I think that he's right. I think he should stand by that because anybody accusing him of orchestrating this automatically is an asshole. And anybody who thinks that NASCAR orchestrated this on purpose as some sort of a PR stunt is a fucking moron. Why would NASCAR create an elaborate hoax and then call the feds to investigate their elaborate hoax? And why wouldn't Bubba Wallace hypothetically refer to those people as morons in so many words? I don't think Bubba has anything to, to apologize for here. You know, and, and people have searched for an apology from, I guess, the media and whatnot, or anybody that's been uh, using this as a rallying cry. Listen, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that there aren't people in the media who use certain situations to, to mobilize a base or to prove a point. You know, at face value, a guy who just put a Black Lives Matter decal on the side of his race car who happens to be the only black guy in nascar had a noose in his garage that's what we knew um this misunderstanding or coincidence if that's what you want to call it if you're considering it like a crime this is a victimless crime so who the fuck gets an apology i guess the only way you'd be offended by this is if you're in the crowd that would hang a noose in Bubba Wallace's garage, um, which I know that there is a contingency of those types of folks in this country. I didn't need a noose in Bubba Wallace's garage to know that. Um, Bubba was on CNN tonight. I got I to gotta watch more of that. But he maintains that it is a noose. It might not have been for him, but it's a noose in his garage. And, uh, you know, he's a black driver who's probably heard all types of ugly things, threats, et cetera, the past couple of weeks, and they'll only get worse now. Um, so I don't think his life is getting any easier, and it's no fault of his own. And the reaction here shows that there didn't have to be a noose in his stall to confirm or deny racism in this country. You guys are proving it. Dustin Skinner, okay? He's the son of Mike Skinner. Quote, I wish... They had tied a noose around Bubba Wallace's neck and dragged him across pit row. 
You ever think about what you just said, dude? Do you ever like say it out loud and then think about that visual? You know, some people aren't going to change. Some people just need their fucking asses kicked. That guy could use a solid ass kicking. Um, he also called Bubba a piece of shit for supporting Black Lives Matter. You had a uh, truck driver, by the way, leave the NASCAR truck series over a Black Lives Matter car. Oh, yeah, the Skinner guy also said, I know that this isn't what you want to hear, but my hat is off to whoever put the noose at his car. He also called him a scumbag piece of shit. So Dustin Skinner, who I hope gets his ass kicked at some point in his life, is not only not shocked that there was a noose in the garage, he was congratulatory towards whoever did it. Again, some people won't change. Some people need their asses kicked. Then he apologizes and said it wasn't about race. Of course not. Um, and his own dad distanced himself from his son and his son's comments like twice. Um, and as cynical as I am, and I want to believe that, you know, maybe his dad was much wiser and less of a racist piece of shit. Uh, I want to believe that his dad probably isn't like his son, but I'm cynical enough to wonder if the conversation went like this, like, son, you can't say those things in public. And that was like the extent of it. And I got to kind of fry you in public now and we'll go back to family dinners tomorrow. Uh, I don't know about you, but like if my son grew up and said something like that, he's on his fucking own. He's on his own. You know, this isn't some 14, 15 year old kid, impressionable, spewing some bullshit, which would be terrible in and of itself. This is a grown man. We're also, uh, as we turn on the TV this weekend, looking at a Confederate flag flying over Talladega. A guy chartered an airplane to fly a Confederate flag over Talladega with the words defund NASCAR. Like, do you think the noose really means anything either way, whether it was real or it wasn't? Maybe that was why I didn't jump at tweeting about it or talking about it or, you know, joining the masses of people who were understandably outraged, if that were true. Because I didn't need the news to know that America is kind of fucked up and that NASCAR, you know, has a long way to go. Um, I think it, the bottom line is this. We should all be relieved that Bubba did not have a noose targeting him in his garage. If that's what, and I'm going to do something really tough for me right now. I am going to take off my cynical hat and believe that the FBI investigated this thoroughly. And the, although it was a noose and it was there last fall, it wasn't for Bubba. I'm going to do that. I'm going to take it at fast, face value and be relieved that nobody was targeting Bubba Wallace with a hate crime. How hard is that? Instead, everybody's mad for whatever reason. Uh, or everybody's happy for whatever reason and gloating. A noose in Bubba Wallace's stall wouldn't have taught me anything new about this country. And I am relieved that it wasn't for him because uh, he's a guy who stepped out and taken some risks in a sport where I have wondered if he is as safe or if he will ever be as safe again in and around a NASCAR track. And unfortunately, if it's any indication, his job's only going to get harder, and it's no fault of his own. So welcome to the party, NASCAR. Uh, this shit gets messy when you talk about race, when you confront it head on. I hope this doesn't um, dissuade you from continuing to try to do the right thing. You know, I had a conversation with somebody today on Twitter about this. You know, they said that, uh, you know, NASCAR's done more in the past few days than, you know, with, for Bubba Wallace than the NFL's done for Colin Kaepernick. Absolutely. That's also a very low bar. You know, I think NASCAR had it been confronted with this whole situation in 16 and 17 
I mean, I don't have to think. I know there are quotes, there are, you know, there are excerpts, there are, you know, prominent drivers and 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 personalities in the sport who were very disapproving of Colin and his cause. I think that if NASCAR had seen this in 16 and 17, they would have pissed down their leg on this thing. But they're doing the right thing now. The new the new leadership is stepping up. I hope that this doesn't scare them off and that they stay the course. And you know what helped? You know, Richard Petty showed up, you know, the king, stood with Bubba Wallace this weekend. Richard Petty, who spoke out against Cap, you know, and essentially said, if you, if you don't like the flag and you don't like the anthem, leave the country. You know, he's had a, a change of heart in a few years. That's great. Need his voice. Need more voices going forward. You need to eliminate, you know, the, the bad fans. You need to thin the herd. You need more people to leave the sport indignantly because you're not going to fly a losing battle flag over the infield or in the parking lot. You know, I, I would say if I was running NASCAR, good riddance. I hope they stick with it. Um, and I will talk some more NASCAR this pod, but it won't be um, the Bubba Wallace situation. We're going to talk about some X's and O's. You like talking sports? We're going to talk about the sport of NASCAR with Marshall McFadden. But first, Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan, again, somebody I respect greatly, somebody who's resilient, loved by his teammates, never heard anything bad spoken about him from inside a locker room. That is, uh, that's a great um, indicator when it comes to being a teammate. I've never heard anybody say a bad word about Matt Ryan, and he's a quarterback. His leadership, his, uh, his grit, his hard work. The guy's also just a great player. You know, you're talking about a guy who threw for 4,000 yards nine straight years. And he's had talent around him. The only times he hasn't thrown for 4,000 were early in his career when they were running the rock with Michael Turner, who, by the way, was one of the toughest tackles I have ever had to make in the NFL. The guy was a bowling ball. And those Falcon teams have always been pretty physical offensively. Um, Not so much lately, but their O-lines used to be very feisty. And Matt Ryan has always been a hell of a quarterback. Um, it's fun to see him continuing to sling the ball around the yard, but I had to play him in the Super Bowl. And uh, we're up 28-3. to three. And this is part of the reason why I, uh, I hate the conversation about quarterbacks. Well, he's got one ring. He doesn't have one ring. Listen, if a guy has six rings, he's doing something right. There's a pattern there. If a guy has three, he's doing something right. There's a pattern there. And even then, you have to judge people based on context. But Matt Ryan could retire in three years without a ring. Matt Ryan had that Super Bowl run one. When you're up 28 to three in a Super Bowl, uh, you you generally want to do something called running the football, and the quarterback's job is generally done. Now he has to make a couple throws there, which he did. He made a huge throw to Julio on the sideline. That's when we thought the game was over. Then he took a sack to Trey Flowers. Then there was the hold uh, on Jake Matthews by yours truly, uh, which by the way. Matt completed a ball that would have put him in field goal range. They kicked that field goal. It's over. That is not on Matt. 28 to three, blown lead. Now, if Matt doesn't get a ring, he's one of those ringless quarterbacks. Context matters. Matt Ryan's a hell of a quarterback. And Matt Ryan, the next year, got his Atlanta Falcons back up off the mat, which is so hard to do uh, to make it all the way to playoffs. Again, I'm on the other sideline, this time in Philly. Comes up to Philly on a really cold day, defensive struggle, um, and really easily could have won that game. And we go on to win the Super Bowl. So bad luck for the Falcons. But each time that team gets off the mat, this past year, start off really poor. Second half of the year, they're rolling. They're like a playoff team. If they had slid in the playoffs, not a lot of teams want to see them. I think they went to San Francisco and won. They beat the Saints. They played a lot of teams close. I want to say they went like six and two the second half of the year, shuffled some coaches around, did some things. Um, They're going to be tough to deal with this year. Not only is he a great quarterback, not only are they going to be good this year, even in a good division, he's a guy who spoke out. And I appreciate that. He didn't just speak, though. He also has a GoFundMe. 
he is encouraging people to donate. It's www.gofundme.com forward slash F forward slash ATL fund. And uh, Matt kicked this GoFundMe off with a $500,000 donation. I'll let him tell you what its aim is. And uh, without further ado, let's, let's get Matt on. Franchise quarterback here. Uh, one of the best, one of my favorites, somebody from my draft class somebody I've known from way back when ACC media days, you know, the, what was that? What was that thing? We, by the way, it's Matty ice, Matt Ryan, the one and only Matt, what was the thing we went to out in the desert? Was that the playboy all American retreat in the, uh, in the desert? God, I don't, what were we doing out there? I don't know, man, but like, it's this been a long 11, time. Yeah. The 11, 12 years has flown by and I got out while I still could. You're still uh, slinging it around the yard, throwing for 4,000 yards every year. Like it's no problem. Do you feel old yet? We're playing two different positions, bro. <laughs> you, you can age a little bit differently at my spot than you can at yours, but uh, I still feel pretty good. You know, some days are better than others, but I still feel pretty good. And I can't believe I'm going into year 13. I feel like we were just in the desert kind of hanging out. I know. Like it was yesterday, you know? I know. And uh, I did see, like, you know, these, these people, I, I watched these games late in the year last year, and you guys were kind of out of it, but, but you didn't play like it. Obviously, the New Orleans game is always a, a heated rivalry, but I can remember you tucking the ball and running to the right sideline to the pylon. It wasn't to the pylon. It was just the first down. You were selling out with everything you had, and you still look fast, man. Well, I couldn't quite make it to the pylon. I didn't have enough juice to, to actually get there, but I did get the first down, which was... Uh, you remember the play. Which, yeah, yeah, I know exactly which one, which was good enough. It doesn't happen very often for me. Yeah, no, I said remember, well, my, man, my man still has his wheels. Um, yeah, probably which, like 5, 240 these days. Yeah, I don't know what I would run if I had to do the combine again. What do you think? Currently, what do you think right now? I'm going to be kind to myself and say a 5 flat. That's pretty good. That's not bad good, for man. being on the couch. And, yeah, that's pretty know. good. Five, I would take five flat right now. I'm not sure I got it in me. Now, what I couldn't do is jump real high. I think that's the first thing you lose is the ability to jump straight up vertically. Yeah, luckily, it serves no purpose playing yeah. football. So that's an Achilles get away with to happen. And for you, it's just celebrating when you jump. So, <laughs> But you've been – listen, you have been – and I've always known you to be a stand-up guy, you know um, – you're one of those guys that I could tell just you don't change in, in a good way. You've always been Matt. I mean, you've always been the same guy since BC. And as anybody that plays with you, you're a leader. You're a guy that takes care of his teammates. And you stepped up big time recently for your teammates, for your peers around the league. And in an age where we've been thirsting for these, you know, big white quarterback voices, you stepped out into the forefront and talked about these issues that we're grappling with as a country. What did that what went into that for you? Well, you know, it, it started kind of in a setting like this, um, you know, with with everything going on, we had a, a Zoom team meeting and, um, you know, just listening to some of the other guys talk, one of one of the things that they, you know, mentioned was it would be helpful if, uh, you know, some some white players, some white teammates uh, would step up and be vocal uh, in the past. And you probably know this being in locker rooms. Uh, as well, there was always support within the locker room. You know, there was always that like, hey, man, I got you. I'm with you. I, I can, I, I, you know, empathize with, with what's going on. Um, you know, and I regret probably not having spoken up sooner than this, but um, the timing is what it is and, and the timing is, is now. So uh, it just came from listening to those guys and, and, and saying, all right, man, I'm with you. You know, I'll, I'll go out there and, and let them know what I'm thinking and, and how I feel about, you know, this situation. And uh, it's been a good thing. I mean, there's been a lot of, of positive feedback within our community in the city of Atlanta. Uh, you know, I've, I've started this GoFundMe account where, you know, we're raising money to, to try and advance the lives of, of the black community within our city. So um, it's something that's probably long overdue for myself, uh, for, for, you know, being out there publicly and, and, you know, letting people know how I feel about this, but uh, I'm hoping that it can create some momentum in our city and, and kind of push the narrative forward and, and, you know, make, you know, make our country a better place for all of its citizens. Right. And, uh, and, and, and make sure that everybody's treated the same way. I think that's the key. I mean, you and I look at the flag and we, we think of it one way. I mean, we grew up as white kids in the suburbs and, you know, police were there to protect us and that sort of thing. And, and our perspective is very valid in our own circle. 
But I think it's just the ability to just open your ears and say, okay, my perspective is not, I don't own an American perspective. It's not just mine. I mean, this country is made up of a bunch of people with different perspectives and a lot of them live in locker rooms with us. And so I think, um, you know, we have a, a, a really unique opportunity in such a diverse workplace where we can have these conversations in like a safe place. You know, guys, you know this, I mean, you've been at it for going on 13 years now and guys have these tough conversations, but now it's time to push them to the forefront publicly. And I think it's awesome that you did that. And then also you were specific. I mean, you said we cannot continue to lose lives to police brutality. And these are tough, touchy subjects. It's not to say, you know, I hate every police officer or anything like that. I mean, we all know good ones, but this is high time for accountability. And I thought it was cool that you spoke up. That's all. And have you gotten feedback that was negative? Because I know you have a lot of people who are your fans who might've never had these conversations before. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's definitely, you know, been both sides of it. Um, you know, some, some negative pushback on it as well. And I think, you know, I, I think that, that's part of any conversation, right? There, there's going to be, there's going to be voices on both sides and, and that has to be okay, you know, but we have to listen and, and you can't continue, um, to just have the same things happen over and over and over. And, and with the police brutality deal, you're exactly right. It's, there's tons of great police officers and, and men and women who, you know, are, are doing an unbelievable job of keeping communities safe and, and keeping, you know, the, the citizens with safe. But there is an issue, right? There is this issue of police brutality towards black males, and it happens all too often. And to ignore that, um, you know, I just don't think is right. And so I'm not sure what the solutions are. I yeah. think there's, you know, there's people uh, that spend more time on this than myself. Yeah. Uh, but the two things that I have uh, that, that can help push the message forward are one, a platform uh, and two resources to be able to, to make an impact. And so uh, those are the two things that, you know, in addition to my time, those are the two things that I'm going to be, you know, giving. Real quick, before we transition out of this stuff into, into the uh, X's and O's, um, have you had white players reach out to you and say, hey, it took balls, I saw what you did, how do I do it? You know, it, it, give me some sort of a roadmap. What's it like when you step off that ledge? Well, yes, you know, I've had, I've, I definitely have had uh, different teammates, you know, step out and say, you know, what's the pushback? What, what, and my answer to them is, you know, who cares? It's the right thing to do. Right. Yeah. Uh, so whatever. You know, however you choose to do it, everybody's different and everybody's personality and, and you know, how they choose to share things is different uh, and the platform that they have is, is different. So, you know, my, my encouraging to those guys is, you know, if this is the, in your heart, you believe this is the right thing to do, do it however you have to do it, right? And, and just stay true to, to who you are. Yeah, and it's that simple. It really is. Um, I mean... The guy that's been floated in the middle of all this and, uh, you know, is is in the news again is owners have talked about maybe, hey, listen, the door's open for cap. Whether or not, you know, we know the ins and outs of in what kind of shape he's in or how the ball's looking coming off his hand. What is a challenge that you would imagine, you know, a quarterback would have sitting for three years, whether it was his fault or not? I mean, that's just timing like in and, and your feel for pass rush i mean that's probably the biggest thing you know you can throw seven on seven all you want um yeah. but it's a, it's a different it's just a different game when you get out there and there's people moving around you and there's pass rush that's that to me would be you know the hardest the hardest thing to get back to get that feel back uh when you haven't played for that long but um you know i hope he gets an opportunity i, I really do i you know i think he's deserving of it and uh, we'll see what happens with him. Uh, you know, I hope he's not playing against us. He kicked my ass too many times going against us. <laughs> no, him. dude, I was in division NFC championship game. I'm, I'm still a little salty over it. Oh, you are? Yeah, yeah. I, I, <laughs> dude, I had about, I left about five, seven sacks on the field because <laughs> yeah. he was just so electric that year. And I think a lot of people forget that, you know, that San Francisco team was so stacked top to bottom, sure. But he was not a facilitator. He was the reason they yeah. were in the position they were in. I mean, that defense was great. When you look at those names, but statistically, they weren't carrying that team like a Ravens team or something like that from the turn of the century. They were running up, you know, the points and the yardage. Yeah, for sure. So. Shoot, we played them in the we played them in the NFC Championship game, and I think we had like 21, 24 points at halftime. You know, yeah. 
wasn't like they just shut us down. In the second no. half, it was a different story. I mean, he just – he kind of ran all over us and, and made some big plays in the past game. So I was, I was right there, Matt, when uh, Jolon Dunbar turned Alex Smith's lights out on a scramble on my side of the field at Candlestick Park. And I had no idea. Right Jolon. Yeah, you know Jolon. Yeah, BC. <laughs> So I'm I'm literally jogging over to get in on the tackle, and little did I know I'm seeing history, um, right? Because had that not happened, who knows how long Cap doesn't get in a ball game and doesn't set the league on fire. And now the conversation that we've all been thrust into, and it's the right thing. Uh, he certainly, you know, has uh, has a big part in that. So I don't want to put you on the spot with bulletin board material right off the bat, but. This is an important question about your, your division rival, Tom Brady, and I'm going to hold you to answering this question. Could you beat Tom Brady at golf? Because I hear you're pretty good, and he didn't look that great on TV. <laughs> I watched the match, and I'm not – listen, I'm not going to talk any shit because it's not easy when you're playing with Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson, and you're the only people on the course. But from what I saw, I think I might be able to get Tom Brady. I think. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, did you just did you, you just, just you just end up on top shit list? Just hitting it right and it just kept going right. Hey, listen, some he's gotta be bad at something. It's not even like he's bad. I think he's probably pretty good. I don't know anything about golf, but the the you know, everybody took pleasure in turning on the TV that day because there was a captive audience and saying, Oh my god, there's something that I might be able to hang with Tom <laughs> Brady at. And that was all regular Joes were on. I didn't know that he was bad or good, but I hear you're very good. I'm okay, but I think Tom's actually, he's got like a good swing. It looks good, you know. I think it might have just been one of those days that it's just like it's, it was not his day. How about your favorite golfer? Oh, man. Uh, I think growing up, like Tiger Woods, I, I think for everybody, right? Like R.A., right. watching him kind of come of age and just dominate. It's hard to like pick anybody else other than right. him. I've gotten to play with Phil a little bit, though, uh, yeah. and he's fun to play with, fun to spend time with. So uh, I just root for the guys I get to know. How about best football position for golf? Because you play with tons of guys in the league. Who's actually – like quarterbacks are generally pretty good, I think. Yeah, decent, decent. I would say kickers and punters, too. Because they have like, so much time. They don't do shit. It's a good gig if you can get it. It could be – if you get <laughs> one of those guys kicks, like Adam Vinatieri's going on 25 years. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, can, it's a nice really do it forever, man. So you're, you're facing COVID. Uh, it's a different year. I, I've heard you speak about this, about some of the things you were getting guys together on, you know, some of the smaller focused targeted sessions. You know, what's the hardest part about organizing the drills? I mean, certainly, but the coaching aspect of it, there's no coach to reinforce, you know, the drill that you're putting on. You're now a coach and the quarterback. Yeah, I think, I think, I think it's easier, uh, you know, being at this stage of my career. Uh, you know, than it was like when we were locked out in 2011, it was kind of overwhelming as a younger player of trying to get everything organized, trying to get people together. So it reminds me a little bit of, of that experience that we had then. It's different, though, because back then, I mean, we could really you could get your whole team together if you wanted to back then. You know, with this COVID right. deal, you have to keep the numbers uh, down and you got to make sure, you know, guys are. You don't want to pressure guys into doing it if they're not comfortable doing it. You just have to be aware of, of you know, different people feeling differently about it. But I've been lucky. We've, we've all, um, you know, we've all kind of stayed healthy, been on top of what we're supposed to yeah. do at this point, the guys that have gotten together. And so it's been good. I think the coaching aspect of it sometimes is it's almost even better when you remove coaches from it. Uh, not to say that, our, you know, our guys don't do a great job. but you get to spend time, you know, explaining things from my perspective and why I need, you know, certain guys in certain spots and, and for them to save, you know, space on the field in a certain way. I think you don't really get that chance uh, with the way our, our off seasons are currently set up. You, you know, as well as anybody, I mean, your time structure in the building. Yeah. I mean, you don't have much time. It's not yours. And there's a lot of inefficient work, too. And especially on defense, like I really feel like we're in the building 10 hours a day because of the offense and you know it would be unfair to send the defense home while y'all are grinding away but the reality is as a d lineman i study and have to study far less than you do in your receivers and you you're, you're trying to explain to a guy the minutiae of if you're not breaking here you're not going to get the ball you know right. that sort of thing like you know for us it's it's assignment alignment and repetition so i think it's unique and and especially like you're 
you've got kind of a nice situation because in your division, continuity is going to be huge, say you guys play this season. I mean, there's two teams, a lot of continuity in your division right now, okay? It's, it's, it's you and New Orleans, your, your favorite team. And <laughs> on the other side of the division, you've got new quarterbacks, um, new system in one place, and, and, and you know, albeit a, a Hall of Famer, but a new guy in Tampa. So uh, how, how much of a challenge is it for you to get on the same page with somebody like Hayden Hurst? I mean, you've got a good rapport with Julio, with Calvin, with these guys, but Todd, Hayden. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. Those are the guys. To me, those are the guys that it's critical, right? Like, we have the same coordinator back, which is huge. A lot of the same key position guys back. It's going to be no problem getting you know the rhythm and timing back with Julio. We already have you know however many game reps. We already speak the same language. He already right. knows you know what I'm talking about when I'm saying certain things. I think it's been really important to spend time you know with Hayden. And I, I've spent a ton of time with him this offseason. And, uh, you know, credit to him. I mean, he's been driving back and forth. Jacksonville's home for him. And he's been, you know, driving back and forth from Jacksonville for the last, I don't know, like nine weeks, 10 weeks. Wow. And uh, spending three or four days a week here, you know, getting to spend some time on the field. And, and just, I think more so than anything, just to get to know me and then just to get to hear, hear the, the terminology, hear how I talk, hear, you know, Here's what I mean when I'm saying this, like just right. little stuff like that. It goes a long way because, you know, inevitably when we get to the season, like he just needs to know what I'm talking about. You don't yeah. have you don't have that much time to to be able to explain things when you're game planning and trying to just get ready for a week. So I think, you know, honestly, I think it's it's maybe been a blessing that we only have one new guy really in the passing game uh, that we've had to break in and we've had to do it this way where it's just been he and I spending so much time together. Is this the best group you've ever had skill-wise? It's got to be right up there. You know, I, yeah. I, I think so. I've been lucky. You know, I've, I've had some, some great guys that I've played with. So, you know, I think it's hard to say if this is the best. We had a pretty good unit in 2012 with, you know, Roddy White, Julio Jones, uh, Michael Turner, Tony Gonzalez. I mean, those guys were all yeah. pretty good. But Tough. I've got to imagine, you know, this is – you know, right up there with them. I think yeah. you're talking about Julio in his prime, Calvin Ridley going into year three, coming into his own. You got Todd Gurley, who's hungry, who wants mm -hmm. to, you know, prove it this year. Hayden Hurst, another guy, first round draft pick, who, who just ended up in a spot where, you know, the way they were running the football, I mean, it, it was no fault of his own. It just Yeah, you never know what he could it. turn out to be in the passing game. And then also he had to share that load with a lot of dudes. I mean, they had a lot of options there. so. I think it'll be great. How about like COVID, the prospect of maybe no fans? I'm not saying we're not going to have fans, but if you don't, what are you thinking about as a quarterback? Like, I, I think about like as a rusher, if I was playing somewhere like Seattle and I get five sacks a year on crowd noise, oh, yeah. how is my year going to change for a quarterback? Communication, you know, silent count. Like, have yeah. you thought about all that stuff? The thing I think about, the thing that's going to be a pain in the ass if there's, if, there's no, uh, if there's no noise is how often we're going to have to change like audible words, code words, cadence, like because you guys are so good. I mean, you talk about from the D-line perspective, you know, when you're playing at home at a place like Seattle, yeah, you're going to get five snaps a game where you're off the ball before the tackle's ready to go. But by the same token, if you're just getting into the rhythm of our cadence and listening to, you know, listening to it over and over, you know, going against guys in practice, you get used to going against that same quarterback all the time and, and you kind of get into, you know, how they sound. So, you know, from my perspective, I think it's going to be like a lot of work of, of, you know, hiding our code words, changing our code words, and then really working on ways to use our cadence. Yeah, because, you know, we, 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 we're thinkers too, Matt. Listen, you guys are cheaters on that side of the ball. <laughs> you know it. Hey, you're always offside. <laughs> yeah. What about? Yeah, that's what we say about the tackles, which is actually reality. <laughs> um, you know, it's almost like when y'all score more points, the ratings go up. So, what about? What about? Did you see these helmets that they're talking about? These prototype helmets, like that looks wacky. I mean, it's got to terrify you for for a position player. It's one thing, but if you got to put on some halo looking helmet on for your vision and your periphery, like. Isn't that I just kind don't of know how that's going to work? Yeah. Like I, 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 you know, I just don't know how, you know, how, how you could do it. So 
I'm sure if push comes to shove and you got to make it work, we'll figure it out. Yeah. I'm yeah. hoping that's not the case. Yeah, it looks like a lacrosse helmet. It looks yeah. like somebody, you know, at uh like the sides of it would be tough. You know, for us, I mean, your peripheral vision is is huge, particularly for like pass rush, you know, yeah. like just feeling that flash on the side of you is is huge for movement. So I just don't want to get I'd love to be a left end. I'd love to be a left end this year and 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 unabated, you know, yeah. uh, on somebody's ball hand side. I mean, the the helmet might make it really tough to to anticipate that. How about um how about and this is this is what I'm not I'm not jabbing you cuz I was on the other side of it, but the Super Bowl. You guys talk about that a lot. Is it like we don't bring that up because listen, as a quarterback and you're one of my favorites, not just cuz I know you well and we came out the same year, but you did everything you could to win that game. And I know you're not a blame guy, but um, that had the sting, but it wasn't really your fault. Like, how do you get over that hump mentally? And do you guys in the building talk about it or just say, we don't talk about that thing? I, I think I've matured as a person uh, to knowing, like, if you just bury things, it's probably not good for you. Yeah. And, and I think that's the same professionally, too. Like, yeah. you can't just have this thing that's sitting down there that, that, you know, if anybody brings it up, you just combust. And so, yeah. uh, you know, I, it, it comes up, we talk about it. And, um, you know, I, I, think, I think the hard part in sports and the hard part of playing football is your one third of, of, you know, of each, each play. I mean, yeah. you're, you're, you control one third of it and, you know, you try and work as hard as you can and prepare as best you can. You got to be able to sleep at night. And, um, you know, I feel good about it. I felt like I did, I did what I needed to do in order to give us a chance, and it didn't work yeah, out I was for there. us that day. Yeah, <laughs> I was there. You did everything you could have done. I mean, there was a moment in that game where I was just saying to myself, holy shit, we're going to get run out of this building. This offense is on fire. Uh, now, things tightened up and that sort of thing, and y'all had some bad breaks for sure. But, I mean, I, I, just, I always think it's unfair when you're judging quarterbacks by just you know rings because, to me, you won your team a Super Bowl, and it just, you know, there just wasn't the finish. How about the next year? Are you pulling for the Birds over the Pats because you grew up a, a, a Birds fan? God, man, you pissed me off twice. Right? <laughs> <laughs> that one hurt. That one hurt in Philadelphia because yeah, I mean, that was a hell of a game. It, it was, was a great back game. Fourth game, like yeah. a great game, and then to have four chances, uh, you know, from basically inside the ten yard line at the end of the game. Uh, that was tough, man. That was, that was a tough one to swallow because, because we had answered the question so much that entire year too, of like what happened the year before, yeah. can you guys rebound, you know, and everyone, you know, kind of forgets. I mean, we were a handful of plays away from, you know, getting deep into that playoff run could have yeah. gone either way. And I'm, I'm as proud of, of that team uh, as I am of any I've been a part of because we dealt with a lot of shit that year. Yes, and, and that's, and that's, the, really, yeah, really that's well. the thing about resiliency. That's one thing I can tell about the Atlanta Falcons and it starts with you is you guys don't fold, okay? Like we knew that coming in, you know, that playoff game. It is so hard for a team that appears in the Super Bowl, let alone that is a part of something that hurt like that, to get back on the horse and you guys did it. And really there was one play in that Philly uh, Atlanta game and you might know the play exactly I'm talking about. Before the half, the tip ball that falls right off of Neil's hands into Tory's hands, and we're able to go get points. Now, That's huge. Yeah, I don't know if you guys win the Super Bowl that if, if, if things go differently, but you guys were a damn good team. And then on the other end of it last year, everybody writes you off for dead um, early in the year. The second half of the year, you guys are a playoff team. What is it about your team? What is it about Dan Quinn? And then also, like, how valuable is it to have an owner like Arthur who doesn't panic? Because it's so prevalent in football that we just discard head coaches. Yeah, I think it's huge. You know, it, it starts there. I mean, you've been around enough places to know uh, that's not always the case, right? And so for Arthur to understand that we have a great head coach and we've got a guy who the players play really, really hard for week in and week out. Uh, we got a guy who's a really, really good football coach. We had a lot of weird things happen in the first half of the season, you know, but to start one and seven and then to finish six and two, to me, you know, that almost says more about, you know, what kind of staff you have, what kind of guys you have in there. than if things just go well from the start and you finish 10 and six and losing the first round, right? Like 
that that year is great. You get an opportunity in the playoffs, but it, it doesn't show me much about the team. Like last year showed me a lot about the guys that we have, the type of, of people that we have. And that makes me excited for this year. Did y'all really draw hat, draw names to pick who was coaching what on defense? Was there some <laughs> process like that? Or is that urban legend? I I don't I wasn't in I wasn't in on when they decided who was going well, it to worked coach. it worked it worked I mean we took our the next thing I know our wide receiver coach who was Raheem Morris's former defensive coach for a long time yeah but he was coaching wide receivers for us the next thing I know this guy's calling the place on defense the next week I'm like all right man whatever but Jack of all trades. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It worked. But real quick before I let you go, uh, can can you can you drum up three compliments for either the Saints or the city of New Orleans? Man, three three's a lot. Uh, <laughs> they got good food down there. They do. Mardi Gras can be a good time. I'll give. Okay, that. that's kind of one. Yeah, so that's like that's two for me. All right, okay. that's that's saying a lot. And then their all white uniforms are pretty sweet. I'll give them that. Yeah. You, okay. You know. Yeah. The throwbacks are nice. And by the way, your new uniforms. Are you you getting used to them? You go with them? Uh, I'm getting used to them. I'm getting used to them. I liked our throwbacks. You know, I'm kind of an older school throwbacks. guy. I love the throwbacks. I like the the ones we have. But uh, you know, well, hopefully, you guys get to don the uh, the um, the Jeff Georges at some point because those are the best, in my opinion. Now, uh, I'm I'm buying the Falcons this year. I'm excited about you guys. Uh, I'm excited about you, man. Keep trucking, keep leading by example, and uh, always nice to see somebody from the draft class balling out. So, Matt Ryan, appreciate you joining us, and best of luck this year. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it, man. So that was fun catching up with Matt Ryan. I mean, we, we've talked um, – I've sacked him a few times. I've hit him a few times. But, you know, other than a, hey, good game, buddy, great seeing you again, you know, keep up the good work, that sort of thing, you, the things you say to – Guys, you know at the 50-yard line, we haven't had a conversation like that since we were seniors in college in the same, you know, uh, conference. Um, and it was cool catching up with Matt. He's a good dude. He really is. Genuine dude. Um, so without further ado, let's – and by the way, I couldn't say this, you know, to Matt explicitly, but I am – whatever the, the, the win total is on the Falcons, I'm, I'm on the over this year. Fuck yeah. Um, let me get Marshall McFadden again, pit crew, gas man, NASCAR, um, black dude in a sport that could use some diversity, but evidently it's coming, uh, in the way of, uh, guys on pit row, former football players. Let's get him on. So I got another old teammate with me now, uh, former NFL linebacker, and he was a stud. He would come downhill and blow you up. Uh, <laughs> South Carolina State, Pittsburgh, Oakland, and then St. Louis is where we cross paths. Yes, sir. Marshall McFadden, who now mm-hmm. is a part of the NASCAR world. How you doing, man? I'm doing great, man. And uh, thanks for the awesome introduction, man. So that's, 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 a, that's a good start. I don't know where it's going to go from there, but it's a good start. But I'm doing <laughs> great, man. In St. Louis in the mid-2010s, there were a lot of tough times, uh, you uh, know. You know, I, I listen, I, I agree, but, um, you know, we persevered through all that stuff, so we good now. We right? did, and and now Marsh is out on the other side uh, in another sport. He he retired, walked away from the game, and yep. uh, he is now working on pit row in NASCAR. Yep. How long have you been doing that, and what do you do? Uh, this is a, this will be my third year, so at the end of the season here, I completed my third season, and I'm the, I'm the gas man, so in the NASCAR world, it won't work if I ain't out there putting gas in the car. So, yeah, that's so what see, I do, though. See, I hear gas, man. I think a different kind of gas. <laughs> but I – so it you're – that, it, 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 so I ain't that gas. I ain't yeah. that gas, man. And sometimes, so if I go home because, uh, you know, from the untrained eye or just not educated on NASCAR, and I'm like, yeah, I'm the gas, man. And I'm like, well, not that kind of gas, man. You know, <laughs> this, this is what I do with pitting cars, so. But, I mean, you're you're one of the most important guys. I mean, because you yeah. – you got to be what you got to be accurate and quick with it. Yeah. Like how yeah. has a pit stop changed over the years and the expectation and then the bodies and the people, you know, the, ath- the athletes, I mean, yeah. was there a time when, when, you know, pit row was full of guys who were really good at that skill, but they weren't athletic. And now you've got yeah. athletes involved like yourself. Yeah. So way back when, especially when it's first started, obviously the time it took longer to pit a car, but it was comfortable comfortable with that you know just from with their competitive standpoint so you can go pull a guy out the street 
a pair of cars. And back then, they had guys like 400 pounds, 300 pounds, 200 pounds hitting cars because at, at that point, the competitive nature just wasn't heightened. And then uh, it, it almost like a domino effect. One team going to get, you know, say a college football player. And then, you know, say if he had a carry and he's pretty good. So other, key, other teams feed off that too. It got to the point where now they're targeting ex-NFL players and, and college players and, you know, also, and the times had drastically dropped from 20 seconds to almost 11 seconds, you know, so that's a big difference. So you want to go and get, you know, your top players, your top guys, and where you're going to get those guys from, football, basketball, you know, college, you're going to get those guys. So now it's real competitive out there on pit row. And it's, uh, it's good. And, and the fans love it. The fans, they, when all the car, when, when you see 40 cars come down on pit road and they're trying to see, you know, who the first person get out. I mean, it's just, it's, it's crazy. It almost becomes as important as the drivers. I don't want to, I don't want you to walk you into sounding like you're more important than the drivers. Cause I know you, you, but, but, but what you guys do, I mean, these, yeah. these seconds become crucial. And, you know, I went to Martinsville a couple of years ago. This is the only, mm -hmm. the only race I'd been to in person right down the road from me. And uh, I noticed walking through, because I had a pass walking through pit row, yeah, I ran yeah. into like five dudes that I played in the ACC <laughs> and, you know, who are football players. Has that been the, the, the main, I know you said basketball maybe and some other athletes, but they're looking for these football guys. Man, um, and, and we all over, you talking about a couple guys, uh, one that I actually pit with, with the same is uh, his name, Jonathan Witter. He played with the Clemson Tiger linebacker and also played with the Tennessee Titans as well. And, uh, and the list go on and on, Appalachia State, uh, another Clemson guy that's on pit road from Arizona. It, you got all these guys of different walks of life played at different school, professional level this level and that's kind of about all you see on pit road you know and it's a it's, it's a great transition for for professional athletes or college athletes and you're talking about uh, the longevity of that sport as well you're talking about football average maybe three or four years when nascar and, and if you're good at it, you're talking about 10 to 15 years easy and 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 not a lot of wear and tear in your body and make a pretty good living out of it so i think it's a great transition for a lot of guys what do guys get paid on the high end in pit row <laughs> I think to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars on pit road. That's yeah, that, beat, pretty, hey, that, yeah, beats, that's, that beats uh, padded practices and all that, doesn't yeah, it? And I and I tell people all the time, I was like, listen, you know, because a lot of these guys, some even come out of high school and they make right. really good money for you know guys who just went to high school. But I will say you think about it, you know, you are getting paid just say just say a hundred thousand dollars. I think that's pretty good. Living ten to fifteen years. I think you can set you and your family up to live a, a pretty, pretty decent, decent life. And uh, you're not getting beat up on not two and a half hour practices. I can yeah. tell you a, pra a practice for me. We have practice around 830. We have maybe an hour, hour and a half practice. We are doing that time. We pit in the cars. We go watch film on uh, our previous race or something like that. After, after that, after that, we have maybe a workout, you know, maybe CrossFit or a workout in the gym because we have trainers. We have all that stuff. It's just like the NFL. It's like a football other. facility. Yeah. 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 Facility, just like any other facility. But everybody's in Charlotte, Marshall. Uh, most of the teams are in Charlotte and the surrounding areas. But most most of the teams, the headquarters is Charlotte. So a lot of the pick teams. But here. you guys have a weight room and, uh, you know, yeah, each yeah. team has their own weight room. Each team has a film room. Yeah, what are you yeah. watching on film? So, uh, basic for, with NASCAR's chemistry, you know, you work with five guys and they all got to be in sync to do a 10, 11, 12 second pit stop. You know, so if, you know, you got a, you got a carrier, you got two changes, you got your jack guy and you got your gas guy. So all the, so we go and watch what we can get better at for one. Changes, hitting lug nuts, pulling the tire, jack guy, pegging a car, jacking up as fast as you can. Make sure your spacing is right with everybody because when that changer pull that tire out, that jack got that carrier, got to throw the tire in there. So you want to make sure you're spacing right. And coming back, it just, you got to be so in sync and out to run that 12 second stop. So we go and watch film. We have our uh, engineer guy here being there breaking all that stuff down for us. Now, each job's way different. Which one's the hardest one? <laughs> the, the hardest, uh, I'll say the hardest, probably before the changer, Cause you you can you talk you trying to hit five lug nuts in you know in millimeters of a second yeah and then you when when the tire go back on you're doing the same thing put with hitting five on yeah but uh, then it changed it used to be six man pit crew now it's a five man pit crew so that now that allows the jack guy now he got to jack the car and get a tire 
and throw it on for one of the changers. So it make his job more valuable and, and more, more harder because you got to jack the car, throw the tight, come back to the jack, take the jack down, run around the car, do the same thing on the other side. So How I much your tires that, weigh? Uh, from about 60, 60 to 70 pounds. You know, <laughs> on the, yeah, yeah. That's why you got to work out. <laughs> yeah, so what's the most dangerous job out of I mean, you told me what the hardest was is probably the changers. What's the most dangerous job and how many accidents happen? I mean, I'm sure we don't see a lot of practicing. Yeah, yeah. We don't see a lot of the behind the scenes stuff. What do you, if you look at the history and I start with my job, you'll see where some even gas guys then got caught on fire, you know, with the, with, the, with, you know, plug, you get gas skewing that way. You got a guy down there hitting lug nuts and you, you get a spark and it can go, it can go in flames. But I think now they then, you know, kind of dumbed down on that where that's, you know, with the stuff you wear and the things they use with the, uh, with the uh, guns and all of that stuff. But I say now the main thing is, you know, running out in front of the car, especially when they're coming down on pit road about 60, 70 miles per hour. Yeah. So, you know, timing it up because you can't just jump out there. It's when they cross the line, that's when you're able to, to jump out there. So it's going to be pretty tight. So I think for carriers and changers and, and jack man, the, the most dangerous part is getting hit by that car when it come in. Also too, when you just say, if you're on that side jacking, you still got cars coming in behind you going into the pit stop. So people have gotten hit as well just by pitting the car on the on the right side. So it's a it's it's, it's a dangerous job. And I tell you a story last year, uh, you know, a guy hand got caught in the tire well or wheel, snap it, snap when his fingers clean off, clean break. You'll never see that finger again. Yeah, yeah. there was no ice box reattachment <laughs> on that, was no, there? No, at all. At all. So could have been worse. It could have been worse. It could have been worse. You know, I agree. What's a bad gas fill up when you get yelled at in the film room and you know, like when you miss oh, a t- attack on the goal line, what's the, what's the, what's the equivalent of a bad gas fill up from Marshall? I can, I can, I can tell you one of the worst feelings in the world is coming into a pit stop and you got, cause this can weigh a hundred pounds, you know? And so you gotta, you know, find your target, make sure it's, make sure it's flush because you don't do it flush. You're not going to get the right kind of flow. Mind you now, you only got about 12 seconds to do this. So if you don't if, if you don't get it flush, you're gonna be sitting there trying to get the gas to go in, you know. And then yeah. you gotta when those guys come around, now you gotta re-engage and mm-hmm. then you gotta go back into it, get another can. So it's been and it happened plenty of times where teams was up for being good position or a win, and maybe a lap or two left, they run out of gas. Mm. One of the worst fillers in the ever. It's also like, yeah, there's money involved, just like football. I mean, there's yeah. there's certainly money and prestige involved when you screw up a play. But a lot of times when you mess up a play on the football field, you might not even your teammates might not know it was your fault until Monday. Oh yeah, without a doubt. You can you can you can hide it with football, but NASCAR is red there in your face because when you get ready to do a stop, you got the crew chief and yeah. everybody up there on top of the pit box looking. Like man, we get the whole we get a good stop. And if you ain't get enough gas in it, it gonna show and everybody gonna be like, dang, Marshall ran it. Yeah. Ain't a good this, feeling, bro. This is this is crazy. I mean, because I, I it's so funny, most casual fans, and I when I mean casual, I'm setting a low bar. People that know the objective of NASCAR might watch a race every now and again. I don't think people know how athletic. I mean, like you guys are truly, you're still an athlete. One hundred percent. One and, and the competitive nature, especially with the company that I work for, with the guys, the competitive nature of just working out. You you you've been in it, Chris. When you got the guys in there, a bunch of alpha males, mm-hmm. and especially when you're working out, you know the egos are big. You know, so you you got to compete. You got to be competitive. If not, you'll get washed out just like any other sport. And how so tight a- are the drivers with the pit folks? I mean, like, uh, do you, you are with which team now? I'm here with uh, CGR, Chip Ganassi, Chip Ganassi Racing. We run the uh, 42 McDonald's car and the yep. one Monster Energy Kurt Busch car. Oh, yeah, that Monster Energy car is cool looking. Yeah, yeah, it's dope. It's dope. So, yeah, those the two guys. I'm the backup guys on, for both of those cars. And I also work with Starcom on Sunday Cup Race Deal. We do the double zero with Quinn Huff as well. So you get to know you get to know what these, you know, we're talking about athletes. And there's some people that say NASCAR drivers aren't athletes. I would say they are because this is a, an, you know, it's a hand-eye sport. It's an extreme sport. It's a risky sport, and it's a sport yeah. that takes a lot out of you physically. You're sitting in essentially a hot box for hours, right? I mean, Listen. these guys are pissing and shitting themselves. To, Man, to win. Hey, and that's and that's a that's, that's a that's a real deal. I didn't heard I didn't heard a driver like, "Hey, I don't want to do this," you know, because it's so hot. 
you yeah. know, and, and, you know, with the engines and you talking about on the asphalt, when you're going around, it can be a hundred, but it's like 120 or 30 in that car, you yeah. know, with all the heat that uh, they generate. But it's a real deal to be in that hot car and you got to drive and, you know, you got to be weary of other drivers. You're talking about accident where people actually die, die before just getting in the accident. So you got to have a set, set of big ones to go out yeah. there in a car and race for 500 miles. I mean, that's, that's pretty tough, bro. Yeah, it almost makes you want to ask what's wrong with these guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm like, man, ain't no way because me pitting the car and I'm sitting out there. You talking yeah. about four hours, four hours in the car driving around different courses. Oh yeah, man, that's tough, bro. Oh yeah, and the communication is pretty is pretty constant with the pit pit crew, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, the communication is spot on, man. You got the crew chief. Well. The lingo really goes from the spotters and the driver because the spotter letting 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 the driver know where his blind spots and where people are at. And then you have the crew chief who 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 communicating with the spotter and the driver, asking the driver, hey, what do you need when you come in with this pit stop so our boys can get it done for you? And the crew chief, he relayed a message to us. And we're hearing all this on the radio. We're hearing all this. So when it's time for a pit stop, the crew chief will come in and say, Hey, we're doing four tires, few. Adjustment on the right side, adjustment on the left side, clean the grill. And that's what then that's where we come in at to get his adjustments right after he didn't been out there for say 50 miles. He didn't been out there. So he needs some adjustment. The car needs some fine tuning. What's the next sure. race? Uh the next race is in Pocono PA. Uh we yeah. head out Friday. We'll be racing Saturday and Sunday. We do trucks and Xfinity on Saturday and we'll be doing cup. Actually, we do cup Saturday and Sunday. And we cool. have a truck in Infinity racing as well. So quadruple. So it's going to be hot. And uh, we got to go and get to it, you know, in the full fire suits, man. It can get pretty smoky in there. <laughs> you know. How much weight do you lose uh, in a race? Uh, in a race, you can lose 10 pounds easy. Yeah. Especially you having like a two o'clock race. So you're talking about four, four to five hours. You know, it's like a camp there. practice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. That's, that's, what, that's what it's like. That's, that's what it's like. Well, I appreciate you. I appreciate you coming on, man. It's uh, this has been really illuminating. I know that, you know, people don't get to hear from the guys who are down on pit row enough. And albeit something, you know, a, a dude that has added diversity to a sport that desperately needs mm -hmm. it. And, uh, you know, you're living it right there on the front line. So I appreciate you, man. Hey, no doubt, Chris. And uh, one more shout out I want to give the company that I work for is uh, TGR, Chip Ganassi Racing. It's a very diverse program. And out of all the teams, we probably got the most diverse out there. So we set in that example. And uh, that comes along with from, you know, Sean Pete, uh, Mike Metcalf, the two coaches. And it just came out with a book with the 12 Second Culture. So if you get a chance, go check that out. And then talk about the diversity and uh, helping leaders understand putting other people in different roles where they're able to succeed. And to talk about everything that we just talked about today. So, uh, Shout out to those guys from London as well. And, uh, yeah, man, we're going to keep pushing. We're going to keep making things. And uh, hopefully, like we say, 10 years from now, we'll see the difference. Indeed. I will see you at a race soon. And, uh, you know, again, thank you, Marshall McFadden, formerly a, a thumper, a downhill thumper in the NFL. Oh, yeah. He's, oh, yeah. he's the gas man. He's the gas <laughs> yes, man sir. now. So yes, sir. appreciate you, man. And uh, yeah. and uh, good luck this weekend. Don't don't miss it. Don't fuck nah, up. The, the, the plug, we, call, we call it the plug. If you don't want to miss a don't plug, Don't miss the man, plug. There's it, a lot. That, yeah. Be, the plug, the gas man, it sounds <laughs> it sounds funny to me, but yeah, go right, cool. get it, dude. I appreciate it, Chris. Good seeing Thanks, you, man, dude. and uh, continue to do what you do, man. Yep.